Well, I'm thankful for Tom Young and Caleb and for the invitation to be able to preach uh, for Pear Orchard this morning. And if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 27 to 42. And what we have in this section of the Word of God is we have a call to join Jesus in his mission. And he challenges his disciples, but he also challenges us, and he welcomes us and calls us and invites us to join him in the mission of making disciples. So give attention to the reading of God's word. Just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now, notice, first of all, Jesus and his mission. And uh, one of the things that's very, very obvious and very clear, even in this section of the word, and that is that Jesus is sold out to the mission that God gave him. He's completely sold out. And what he does, he takes the the out-of-the-way route because he has a mission to pass through Samaria. Why does he do that? Well, because there is a lady there, and he has a very, very important conversation that he needs to have with this woman, and he has something to impart to give to this lady. Well, the disciples return, and they're just kind of um, flabbergasted, They don't have a clue, Uh, they're amazed, they marvel, and they see no connection of what their role is, what their relationship is to Jesus. And they, uh, in fact, nobody even has the guts to ask him, why are you talking with this woman? What are you seeking? And they're more concerned about their stomachs, about their bellies, and how they can take care of their own needs than they are about the mission that Jesus has. They urge Jesus to eat. 
They say, Jesus, you're going to wear yourself out. Jesus, sit down, rest, take some food. And what does he do? He shocks them with his statement. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. What's he talking about? Well, he goes on and says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, Jesus is the savior of the world. And he came for this particular purpose. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, to crush the world. He came into this world to save the world. And that's the gospel. And friends, Jesus invites us and welcomes us to join him in this mission. The disciples, they're looking to one another, and you can imagine them saying, I didn't bring him anything to eat. Have you brought him something to eat? Have you uh, given him something to meet his needs? I haven't. And there's a principle here. And the principle is this. There is something that motivates and energizes people besides food. And the analogy and the principle that we could set forth is this. Food is to the body like mission is to the soul. Food energizes and enlivens and sustains the body, our bodies. However, mission energizes and sustains and propels us on in mission. Now notice, secondly, not only do we see Jesus' mission, but he calls us to join him. I want to ask you this morning, what is your mission in life? I mean, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What grips you in life? What are you living for? A couple days ago, I'm um, working um, in the um, dining room. My grandson, Holden, he comes in to me he, and he says, uh, Grandpa, what are you doing? I said, I'm working. He says, Grandpa, I thought you were retired. Grandpa, should, <laughs> and, and then he said this, and I thought, thought it was interesting. He says, Grandpa, if you want to be happy, you need to retire. <laughs> you need to retire. <laughs> and you know, think about that. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I mean, think about this particular mission. My mission is that I am working, and I'm investing, and I'm doing everything I can to get to the finish line of retirement. I can't wait. It just grips me. That's what moves me. That's what stirs me. I'm going to retire. Well, here in this instance, we see Jesus says, I have food that you don't know about. And you know, the truth is, many of us are dying inside because there's no mission in our life. Many of us are shriveling up and we're not fulfilling the purpose and intent that God created us for. And, and you know, as Christians, we can be selling out. We could be substituting our mission for something else, and we're just wasting time. You know, this is not the first time in the Word of God when God's people had a clearly defined mission. You remember the Israelites in the Old Testament? God said, I want you to go from Egypt to Palestine, to Canaan, 
and I want you to, to destroy all the Canaanites, and I want you to take this land and possession of it, and uh, I will lead you. Well, how long of a journey was it? It was an 11-day journey. But it t they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and you can imagine their confusion day in, day out. Why did it take them so long in getting there? Because repeatedly they lost sight of their goal. If you asked someone uh, among the that people, uh, where are you going? What are you doing? Maybe uh, so somebody would respond this way. I don't have the foggiest idea. I just know that this uh, trumpet went off. I was rudely awakened out of bed. And I'm following this guy, and I don't know where he's going. I'm just, I'm just going. And they were wanderers. And you know, many of us are aimlessly wandering through life. Well, God has given to the church and he's given to Pear Orchard your mission, your marching orders. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples of the nations. I want you to uh, begin in Jerusalem. I want you to go to beyond Jerusalem to your Samaria, to, to the uttermost parts of the earth, and I want you to make disciples. Now, there's a sense of urgency about that. You know, our Jerusalem, it's right here, but it doesn't stop there. And we take the message that God has given to us beyond our neighborhood, beyond our church, beyond um, where we live, where we dwell, where we hang out. We take it beyond ourselves. There was a... Uh, an article I read a number of years ago, it's by David Scott, and uh, he used an analogy like this. He said, the church is to be a destroyer ship. And the church, that destroyer ship is to go out into sea, into the ocean, and the mission, the purpose of that destroyer ship is it's to launch fighter jets off of the deck. He said, the only thing is, the only trouble is, that destroyer ship is moored, tied to the dock, and that all of those workers, all of those uh, servants, all of the people that are to be on mission for the destroyer ship to go out to sea, they're busy polishing uh, the banisters, they're mopping the deck, they're preparing food for one another, and sadly, that destroyer ship doesn't go out to sea. And you know, uh, God calls us to go. And notice this woman. John tells us she left her water pot. You know, it's like uh, she forgot what she came to the well for. Something new dominates her world. Something else leads her. She is transformed from being far from God, to becoming a missionary and one that can't but speak the things that she has heard from Jesus. She proclaims Christ as the Savior. And the very reason she came to the well was to fill that water pot. But now she's forgotten it. She becomes a messenger and a missionary in Jesus' mission. Now notice verse 35. 
uh, Jesus takes up this theme of the harvest. And the Samaritans, they're beginning to gather around and uh, Jesus wants his disciples to be involved in the same mission. And notice in verses 35 and following, uh, we read and we see there is an urgency and there is a priority to the mission. And literally, the text reads, open your eyes now. Now, even now, the fields are white, ready for harvest, ready to be uh, brought in. Now, reapers draw wages. Even now, he harvests. And Jesus wants us to see that the world is a ripening harvest that only remains to be gathered in. Jesus invites us and encourages us to join him in the work. He says, my work is to finish and accomplish God's will. And I invite you to join us in that. The only thing that matters in harvest season is to bring in the harvest. My wife, Rita, uh, she grew up on a farm in Kansas. And uh, for the farmer, there are only two, day, two paydays a year. Both of those paydays have to do with harvest season. And when harvest hits, you drop everything and you work and you work and you work because if you don't bring in that harvest, you're not going to get paid. But not only that, if you neglect the harvest, a hailstorm can come through, a winter storm can, or a storm can come through with snow, and then the harvest will be spoiled. You can't bring in a harvest that's gone. If you don't bring in the harvest, uh, you will never get that crop back. So there's a sense of urgency. You will never get this crop back if it's lost. So let's, let's apply this. And I want to bring to you three points of application as we think about this. First of all, the mission is to our Samaria. If Jesus could go to Samaria, then... Brothers and sisters, there are new Samarias for us as well. Where is your Samaria? Where is that mission field for you? What is God calling you to do? And uh, this is not simply about Jesus and the world. Uh, this is not about some woman understanding her sin and coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's far more than that, but this is about Jesus calling the church to go to their Samaria. I hear about um, a guy in this church, and every week he goes to a Mississippi jail and he preaches the gospel. That is wonderful, that's commendable. I heard about uh, Johnny and friends yesterday, and you know, that is awesome. There is a mission that's ripening. There is a mission that's ready to be brought in. Where is your Samaria? And Samaria, we're not simply talking about that little community that's uh, geographically just north of Jerusalem. We're talking about a metaphor and going beyond the cultural, social, even political barriers and boundaries that God has in our life and, and that stands between us, the church, and a needy people. Well, Jesus crossed such a boundary. 
For me, my Samaria was committing to go to India and working with ELI. And as I mentioned, I was kind of dragging my feet. I was reluctant. It wasn't as uh, glamorous. It wasn't as flashy. I was, uh, you're kind of, you kind of feel like you're forgotten when you go to India. And plus, you have to take this grueling plane ride across uh, the ocean. Seems like you're forever sitting in that seat waiting to get there. And then uh, I, d- I didn't like getting up at 3 a.m. to do Zoom training. And what's more, I found that it was much more fashionable to raise money for the church and to build buildings here in the States than it is to gather partners and supporters for the poor saints in India. Well, Samaria and Judea were far more divided than our world today. And truth is, uh, we need to go beyond our boundaries, and we mustn't let certain geographic, certain political, certain um, barriers to keep us from going to Samaria. We naturally attract and gather people that are just like us, just like me. And you know, uh, but if you read this story, you know, what rabbi, what respectable person is going to go and actually talk to some lady. I mean, that was unheard of in Jesus' day. And not only that, here's a woman that's far from God, and she is no candidate for the gospel in most people's eyes. I mean, she doesn't qualify to have a theological conversation, but Jesus does that. And notice, Jesus himself takes the risk. You know, this trip to Samaria meant nothing uh, more than risk for Jesus Christ. It meant avoiding the usually traveled, comfortable highway. It meant going without food. It meant not taking his normal companions along with him. But this woman, she also faces risk. And Jesus, he is absolutely delighted in her response, and he commends her for proclaiming him as the savior of the world. And she's willing to tell her friends. Uh, She does not have a good reputation. She doesn't know how people are going to receive her, and yet she goes and she can't wait to tell people about Christ. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 19 years old, and I was working in Jones and Lachlan Steel Mill in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I could remember uh, being very, very excited about Jesus. However, I was embarrassed. I was very, very socially awkward. And I would uh, take my Bible tracks and I would sit behind the racks of pipe and I would quietly read uh, what the scriptures had to say about Jesus. And you know, I was afraid that I was gonna be found out and that I was gonna be discovered and what would that mean for me? But you know something? God was thrusting me out. Eventually, uh, he was sending me into this mill that, had, that was seven miles long, had 12,000 people, 
I had the job of a custodian. I would put my Bible in my bucket and I would go and I would evangelize in the steel mills. And eventually, people would come up to me and they would say, Reverend Jim. And then they would do the sign of the cross when I got close to them. And then one day I go outside and my Ford Fiesta has all four tires slit. And there's a note on it. Stop preaching to us. We don't want to hear it. You know, I want to ask you, what kind of risk are you taking as a witness of Jesus Christ? What kind of risk are you involved in? Where is your Samaria? When someone hears the truth, encounters Jesus, the testimony of the disciples in Acts is, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. But then secondly, notice that the Holy Spirit has gone before us. The Holy Spirit has gone before us. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What happened when Jesus was reunited with his Father after he died, after he was buried, after he rose again, after he was ascended and exalted in the heavens, as he was joined with the Father, what happened? The Holy Spirit of God was poured out on people like you and me. And God gave the church a mission to go. And he said, go. And um, what happened? Well, the Spirit of God came upon God's people. I want to ask you the question, are you a man or woman in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells? Are you someone that goes forth in the conviction and boldness that the early disciples had? Witnesses empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, my wife Rita is naturally a very, very shy lady. She doesn't consider herself an evangelist. And uh, how often have you heard this particular response? You know, some people are called evangelists, but I'm called uh, to work on social media. Some people are called evangelists, but that's not my calling. I'm called uh, to be a software engineer. I'm called to be an accountant, I'm called to be a teacher. There are some evangelists and there are some teachers. Well, all of us are to be involved in the evangelistic enterprise. And here, um, one day, Rita, she's walking our dog. She's going up the street. She starts coming back. Across the street, there's a neighbor. His name's David. David is kind of pacing in the front yard, and he looks really, really distressed. Well, Rita goes up to David, and she says, David, how are you doing? And David, he just kind of spills his guts. He says, I'm a walking pharmacy. I don't know how I'm going to make it. The doctor keeps just giving me more prescriptions. He said, I'm really, really down. I've just lost my father. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And Rita tells David her story. Well, next morning, I walk the dog. I come back. And I'm in my front yard, and David bolts across the street, and he says, Jim, 
He says, uh, I have never seen someone like your wife. So what do you mean? And he says, well, she lost her husband and that she moves to Costa Rica with her two daughters. She starts a mission and uh, now she goes to Liberia, Africa, and I can't imagine this. And then he starts crying. And he says, I am 62 years old and no one has ever genuinely prayed for me. And then he says, I lost my parents and my family. All I have is Catherine, my wife. And he said, I am yellow and I am cowardly inside. I don't know how she goes on. Well, friends, the Holy Spirit indwells one of God's children. And God sends us out into the world as a witness of Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. It is God who has gone before you and is working and preparing hearts. It's God who's gone before us in India. I was in India three months ago with a brother, uh, Terry Ensley. Terry is a ruling elder in the PCA. He's up in years. He's uh, 68 years old. He has, uh, he's, he's retired. Uh, he's just inherited a large cattle farm. He doesn't have to go to India. What would possess a man to go to a place like India, take that grueling ride, go to India, and um, well, what Terry says is this. He says, I get to travel to India, and I get to tell people like you brothers in India about this Jesus that loves them. God the Holy Spirit sends him, and God the Holy Spirit is preparing hearts. Jesus says, others have done the hard work, and uh, God the Holy Spirit has done, so to speak, the heavy lifting. Friends, we are not alone, but Jesus, we join Jesus in his mission. But then lastly, I want to ask you the question, how do you join Jesus in this mission? And there's two ways. One is, you've got to know God's big story. You've got to know his master plan and how you fit in to that big story. There's a lady, a writer, Anne Lamont, and she writes about alcoholism. She writes about depression. Uh, she writes about being a single mom. Uh, she writes about Christianity. In one of her books, she tells her story. And she says this, my father was such an atheist, was so committed to his atheism that he would make us as children sign a covenant that we were going to grow up as atheists. A covenant. Now, she said, I began to backslide. And I actually backslid into faith. She says, I can remember as a little child just knowing when I started to cry, there was someone there that heard me, that heard my cries, cared about me, loved me, and I realized eventually that I was made in his image, and this God, he created us to work. He created us for mission. He gave us a purpose, an important way to serve him. And then she went on and she says this, I don't care who you are, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, 
God gave you a mission. God gave you a particular calling. Do you know his big story? Friends, do you know and see your place in God's big story? But then lastly, how do you join Jesus in this mission? Well, you lift high the cross. Now, friends, this week, the Missions Festival at Pear Orchard is Lift High the Cross. What are we talking about when we talk about Lift High the Cross? What we're talking about, we're talking about focusing and magnifying the mission of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, he became a human being. Jesus Christ died upon this wooden cross beam. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. He was exalted into heaven. He is seated at God's right hand, and he's returning again. We're talking about his work, his mission, and how do you lift that up? Well, one thing is, as a young person, as uh, someone that's retired, people that are here, all week long, you're going to hear about ways that you can lift high the cross in your world, in your life, in your mission, and ways that you can join him in his mission. Now, there's a movie, a Braveheart, and it is my, one of my favorite movies, and if you remember the movie Braveheart, there's this, uh, Mel Gibson plays the part of William Wallace. And William Wallace has this ragabond, uh, this group of uh, foot soldiers that are, are just a sorry group of soldiers. And uh, there comes a place where this group of soldiers is going to face the evil British Empire. And uh, these guys... They're, they're scared. And William Wallace, he comes up with this big idea. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to take a spear, 10, 12 feet in length, and I want you to take this spear, and I want you to hold it to your side, and when the, the cavalry, when they come marching in on their horses, just at the right time, I want you to hold out your spear, and then the horses would be impaled the, the uh, riders would fall off the horses, we'll take our swords, we'll cut their heads off, and then we'll have a victory. Well, the guys are sitting there, standing there, they got their spears to their side, and here comes the cavalry. Ba-bloop, 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 ba-bloop. And they're standing there, and their, their swords, their spears are at their side. And they're saying, we're dead. This isn't going to work. And William Wallace, he says... Hold, 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 because if they lift their spears too soon, the cavalry's going to stop. If they lift them too late, they're going to get trampled and run over. So he's standing there and he's saying, hold, hold, and then he says, now, and they hold out their spears and they have a great victory. Well, friends, that's really what the Bible is all about. God purposed to send Jesus to this earth on a mission. And the whole word of God, God is saying, hold, hold, hold. Now, lift up the cross because this is why Jesus came. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, 
I will draw the nations to myself. Friends, this morning, I come and I proclaim to you that we have the privilege, we have the high calling to join Jesus in his mission of bringing in the nations. Lift high the cross. May Jesus Christ be glorified and magnified as we serve him together. Let's pray. Jesus, you did come as the Savior of the nations, and we praise you. And we praise you that you've given to us the mission to lift high the cross, to magnify your work, to make much of your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your return. Jesus, would you be magnified and exalted here at Pear Orchard as we serve you, as we join you in your mission. And we ask these things for your name's sake. Amen.